The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast Friday morning. The NBA draft is over. And most of the drama took place before the draft with a mammoth trade from the Boston Celtics and the fire sale Washington Wizards and the Memphis Grizzlies pouncing in. Chris Paul now plays for the Warriors. That's a thing that happened. Um, two and three in the draft, much drama. It turned out to be much ado about nothing, as I predicted and Jonathan Gavoni predicted and Bobby Marks predicted all along on this podcast. Zion stayed. Portland picked at three. Charlotte took Brandon Miller. There wasn't even that much movement in the first round, as much as I expected anyway. Atlanta stayed put. Utah made all three of its picks. The Lakers stayed put. We got a lot to talk about. We got Kirk Goldsberry with a nice denim. Are you are you Canadian tuxedoing it today? No, I have some khakis on that prevent me from going full Canadian here today, Zach. But yeah, denim shirt at least. Grady Dick. Speaking of Canadian tuxedos, different kind <laughs> he, of Canadian tuxedos. He looked like he was going to the Tim Hortons Christmas party up there in Toronto. Jeremy Wu, draft Nick expert. How are you, sir? Doing great. the The day after the draft is always like, um, I don't know. It's like uh, it's like the first day of summer vacation, kind of. Coffee number three in my New York City. I love New York. I miss New York. Now I'm a boring suburban loser mug. Uh, <laughs> well, Jeremy, I'll start with you because this is your debut appearance on the Low Post Podcast. This is your time of year. You're already moving on to researching the 2028 draft and things like that, but. I want your take, the the, the fir- very first pivot point, the subject of much controversy, um, uh, jostling in the reporting landscape was who is Charlotte going to take at number two? They ended up taking Brandon Miller. A video is circulating uh, from the Hornets watch party in the arena this morning of Hugo the Hornet appearing to be disappointed at the selection of Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson. Um, there's a whole segment of draft people who are like, huge catastrophic mistake what are they doing they're worrying too much about fit then there's a lot of people who are like no like we think they're kind of equal prospects and maybe he does fit them better and talent is the same where do you fall on this choice i think i mean look um i think there's a reason why this is a move that we could see coming right like if it had been something that was so out of left field that we had never seen it coming and never considered it. Right. Like, uh, then I don't think it would have been, you know, we, we wouldn't have felt as secure in that this is going to happen. Right. I mean, I think I, I'm more of in the camp of them being relatively equal, uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I just think it depends on what you need. Um, what Miller is, which is, you know, at his size being a guy who can really make shots and people, uh, think he can be really dynamic and he had a great season and in college and, uh, there's nothing like a dominant college season to to win scouts over, right? Because you you know what you're getting. You've seen it at that level before. They know how to evaluate it. Uh, and not that that worked against Scoot, but it was like, I think back in October when we saw Scoot have that like transcendent game against Wimanyama in Vegas and we were there and uh, we thought, oh, wow, this guy is, um, you know, on this crazy trajectory too. And then that wasn't what happened. Uh, and, and no one really talked about it during the season, but he, you know, it, he didn't have like a banner year and it was his second year in the g league again he's still young and this is not like hating on scoot but i just the notion that this this was like some uh unequivocal scoot choice was also equally as flawed as you know saying brandon is 100 percent the choice right i mean it's it's give or take but 
ultimately, I think it landed where we thought it would. Um, obviously, the more interesting storyline for the broader NBA is what this means for Damian Lillard. I said all along, I expected nothing would surprise me. I wouldn't have bet money on it. I don't bet money on anything, really. Poker now and then. Um, uh, I would have bet money on Portland just keeping the pick because I think the players they may have coveted in a trade involving number three were not going to be available to them. And the players that might have been available to them, and I don't even really think like any of these discussions got super serious or maybe even happened in a real way to begin with. But just if they're spitballing internally about like who might be realistically available, I don't think they were going to trade the pick for those players. I don't think the Zion thing was ever super duper real. I just think it's too, it's just too dicey of a decision for everybody involved, the Pelicans and any team who might be trading for him. It's just, it's just too hard to do, particularly on a clock like this. Um, And so they end up just, Keeping the pick. And as stewards of the Portland Trailblazers, you can understand why Joe Cronin in the front office and the ownership and all that are like, yeah, Dame, we owe it to you, but we also owe it to the team in 2035 or whatever <laughs> to ha- to make the correct decision today. And we think this is the correct decision. And this is the third path. This is the third path that we talked about two weeks ago on this podcast. Make the pick and say to Dame in the aftermath, just like, I, I don't believe... There's a school of thought around the NBA that the Blazers secretly hope that Damian Lillard requests a trade, that they don't want to be the team. They don't want to be the quote unquote bad guy. They would be happy if Dame did that. I actually don't believe that's true. I I know the people in the Blazers front office. I think they're honest people. And I think when Joe Cronin says we want to win a championship with Damian Lillard, he means it. We want Damian Lillard to retire a Blazer. He said that last night. He means it. I think he really just thinks Scoot Henderson's the best guy for them to take long-term and that there is enough maneuverability around the edges somehow in free agency, somehow with future trades to construct a legitimate, not just, ooh, if everything goes right, they could be the fifth seed or the sixth seed, but like a legitimate good team around Damian Lillard. And right now that team is, let's just get, have fun and assume that Scoot Henderson walks in the door and starts. Let's just, that's more fun to me. So their starting five is Lillard, Scoot, Shade and Sharp, I guess. Let's assume they re-sign Jeremy Grant. Nurkic is the starting center. Simons moves to a six-man rule. You got some guys off the bench like Jabari Walker. You re-sign Thibault, maybe re-sign Drew Eubanks. You know, who knows what else is out there for them. Like, that's an, a decent to good team. The team with player X in Scoot's place is probably better for the short term, but the Blazers decided player X, whoever was available to us, that team is not better enough to justify the pick. And then after the draft, right on cue came the ominous Chris Haynes tweet. (laughs) Damian Lillard has not had any recent conversations, communication with the Portland Trailblazers involving the draft free agency, or his future, league sources tell NBA and TNT and Bleacher Report. Joe Cronin said that they had a long talk on Tuesday, which is 48 hours before the draft. I don't know what soon or recent really means. I think it's not a secret Dame would have preferred. I think he's probably excited to play with Scoot Henderson, but also would be more excited to play with Bam Adebayo, which was never happening in a million years. The Heat are still laughing about that report right now. Um 
Both of those things can be true, but here we are. Mr. Goldsberry, what are you looking for for the Blazers this offseason? Like, they're betting on themselves, and I think they're also betting on the league's increased parity and betting against the Western Conference outside of Denver, who everybody knows is going to be a juggernaut. Yeah, in a weird way, Zach, their team-building challenge in 2023 kind of got harder when they elevated in the lottery. And I say that because... If they had gotten five or six or seven in the lottery, and Jeremy can, can chime in on, on the value of those slots, but when you're looking at a player like Scoot, that's a different equation. Now your math is different than if you're looking at one of these Thompsons. Um, uh, and I think that was really a pivotal moment here. The, getting off of the five or six pick in this draft is, is much easier to, to do uh, for a front office than getting off of Scoot Henderson, whose ceiling is immense. Uh, he, his likely outcomes may not be all NBA, but his ceiling certainly is, Zach. And I think when you're looking at a player like that in a smaller market in the Western Conference, you have to take that player. Uh, and I think that's what sort of forced their hand here in a weird way and, and cost an additional set of conflicts with Damian Lillard's camp is now we have number three, Damian. We have to we have to either get an immense superstar back, an, an all-NBA-level player back in return, which wasn't going to happen, as you pointed out, or we're taking this pick. And now, in a weird way, their, their rise to number three changed the equation. So I think now, if I had to say, we're looking at really realistic chances that Damian gets traded in the next few months. I, I don't think there's any question that there's a realistic chance of that. And certainly the Heat, maybe the Nets, other yeah. teams are, are sitting there waiting and waiting, biding their time. Um, but I do think the Blazers are going to take an honest shot at it. I believe them when they say what they say. So I think they're going to take an honest shot at it. You know, I just don't know. I don't know what the real, I mean, they can still trade Simons and future picks. So they have to clear up that bulls, uh, that bulls pick that they owe with a lot of protections to me that the wild card is Nurkic. I, I just, I don't think Nurkic, I think Nurkic has taken like a quarter step back in the last couple of years on both ends of the floor. And I just don't know if he's the guy I wanted them to go after Porzingis. That ship has obviously sailed. Jeremy, how, what are your thoughts on this and, or, how ready is Chris Murray, the guy they took at 23, Keegan's brother? Is he ready to play? Yeah, I, I like that pick for them. And I, I almost think like that pick kind of read as a pick that kind of splits the difference where you're kind of keeping Dame happy. Like, hey, we got you this older guy who uh, looks a lot like that guy who's really good in Sacramento, who is going to be, uh, you know, hopefully helpful. Uh, he can make shots like he's got size. Like, you know, Keegan can physically play in the NBA. I think Chris is a little smaller just off my eye test. That was how I always told them apart at Iowa, but I think that was a good pick and I think it's decent value there. And I think if they hadn't taken him, I think Sacramento was probably taking him at 24 um, the, to reunite the the brothers. So yeah, I, I just think, you know, to your point, Kirk, like it's, it's so hard to trade out of a top three pick no matter what the draft is, but also in a draft like this where so much of the dialogue, uh, is just that there is this top group of three. Uh, and from an optic standpoint, like coming back off that for anything less than like a star level guy who's really going to move the needle is tough. Uh, and I just, I think with knowing what we know about Portland and like you said, like it's, 
it's kind of hard to like yeah with an iconic player it's hard to like nudge them out the door you can't like do you know what i mean i don't think that's what they're doing but uh, it's also hard to just punt on this chance to maybe have the next centerpiece of the next era and walk away from it you talk to a lot of executives around the league about the blazer situation and you hear a lot i'm sure kirk you hear this too you hear a lot of like well, I can't believe they haven't traded him already. Like, it's so obvious they should have traded him for the bounty they could have traded him for. Look at what the Wizards did with Bradley Beal as right. a cautionary tale. And I'm like, I just, I get it. Like, I get it. I get the cold, calculated way of thinking. Like, you do, you you sell early, you get the bounty, you don't end up selling late and getting 70% of what you would have got before. But Damian Lillard is not Bradley Beal. Damian Lillard is the greatest Portland Trailblazer of all time. They have had real playoff success with him somewhat recently. Not the last few, not the last couple years, but real playoff success in the tougher conference. The Wizards haven't had real playoff success since like 2017 uh, when they took the Celtics to seven games and Kelly Olenek, the Kelly Olenek game happened. Um, (laughs) The Isaiah Thomas series and playoff run happened. Um, and, and I've always said the Beal Wall playoff runs in 14, 15, 16, not 16, they didn't make it 17, are underrated. Like, there was a lot of respect around the league for how dynamic that backcourt was and how Bradley Beal, at like age 20, walked into the playoffs, walked into the Tom Thibodeau defense, what was left of it anyway in 2014, was like, I'm not afraid of any of this. I'm ready. Like, that mm-hmm. dude's a big game player, but he hasn't done what Damian Lillard has done. And he had a no trade clause. Like there's, it's just a totally distinct situation. And I understand the Blazers trying and trying and trying to find a moment with this guy. And I just don't know. I I don't know what the pathway is. But if you're going to sit here and say what a disaster they should have traded the third pick, you got to tell me for who. You got to tell me for who because I don't think I I don't think. And I think the Blazers knew this. I don't think they were getting Mikhail Bridges, who Dame has name checked. I don't even. I'm not sure there was even a real discussion or any offers were made. I just think they knew the Nets wouldn't do that. So, like, why are we talking about it? The Toronto guys, you know, OG and Obi has injury issues off and on. We're always waiting on the leap. The leap, it's kind of like little mini steps and half steps and side steps. And Pascal Siakam, I think Chris Haynes had the tweet yesterday about how, you know, he, there was sort of an ominous, like, he may not resign wherever he gets traded. Adebayo, no. People floated Paul George's name, not, not in the league. I, I'm not reporting anything. I don't think the Clippers, Paul George stuff, I don't really know what happened. I don't think there was any, like, traction anywhere. You can't trade Scoot Henderson for Paul George at age 33, eligible in September for a four-year max extension. You just can't do it. That's that's just like, and he's hurt frequently too. You just like that's not responsible management. You want to tell me Zion? I don't think that was ever real. So who's the guy? If you're gonna trash him, right? Who's the guy? Now, the challenge is how you take that team and make it good enough and it just might be like they're banking on simons and sharp to make leaps i I don't know it's it's gonna be tough any other thoughts kirk yeah well it's like what we learned from golden state it's like it's hard to run a good team or a great team on two different timelines and that's where they are now their two most important players in the organization are at very different parts of their arcs zach and like i said golden state couldn't pull that off and additionally like i said they they get scoot henderson essentially with some lottery luck if there's one organization that knows what a 
incredibly athletic high ceiling guard can do for the Portland Trailblazers. It's the Portland Trailblazers. And, and, and to turn a blind eye to that, to, to get off of that. And I think you nailed it, Zach. You have to tell me who, right? Cool. In a vacuum, we're going to get an all. No, that wasn't a thing. There was no option here. And the best team building play for this organization. When are they going to get another top three pick, by the way? The best team building play for this franchise in the 2020s was to take Scoot Henderson at number three last night. That's the best move for the future of the Portland Trailblazers. So I think that's why they did it. Um, I just brief aside on the Clippers because I just brought it up. I just might, might as well hit it now. I think something is going on there. <laughs> I don't know what the something is, but what I said three days ago or whenever I last did a podcast, I think from what I've heard, when Mark Stein put that tweet out that they were giving off the impression of gauging Paul George's trade value, what I said that day was the buzz I had heard was something went on within the Clippers organization that at least a portion of their brain trust has come to the conclusion that if Kawhi in July and Paul George in September walk in the door and say, hey, where's our four-year max extension? We want a four-year max extension. The Clippers, in at least one or both cases, are prepared to actually do what real professional organizations do, which is negotiate and not just be like, oh, you guys never play? Sure, here's all the money for all the years, which is typically what happens with superstar players. They get all the money and all the years, and there's not a negotiation. You just get it. And I think the Clippers, again, the buzz I heard, this is just what I heard. You, you, I don't know exactly what the truth is, but the buzz that I heard was that the Clippers are like prepared to say, hey, how about to, to either one or both? I don't know. A two plus one, a Chris Paul style deal with a partial in year three. Something to acknowledge the reality that you don't play enough and that we have not had enough success with the two of you considering the outlay of everything we gave up to get you. Now, if that's true then I would guess the agents who represent those players already know that. And if that's true today, everyone is be, everyone has some understanding of like how those discussions might go. And if you're willing to do that, you have to be willing to acknowledge that there is a universe in which those discussions go badly and you have to turn to the next alternative and we know what that alternative would be. I think that's all that's going on with the Clippers. I don't think there was any like... Nick's talk with Paul George that got really serious or any seriousness, maybe any at all, anything like that. That's my Clippers. Any Clippers? I, I do think, though, this now becomes one of the biggest looming stories of the offseason that maybe people just haven't put on their map yet. I think, you know, Steve Ballmer wants to win championships, Zach. And I think you and I, in the summer of 2019, if we can bring ourselves back to when we were awoken in the middle of the night with some blockbuster news, we thought this team was destined for more than they've got in the last four years. I think the road has just gotten tougher and, and the track record has not really been that impressive. I think if you're Steve Ballmer and the leadership of this organization, you are now looking at a reality where you're, even if everything goes right, are you a contender in the Western conference? I think you and I both think, think they are, but the reality is things don't go right. Nobody's ever playing. Um, and I think that is set in four years later that now we're going to we're going to double down on this thing that is as unreliable as anything else in the NBA. 
Uh, I just don't think that Steve Ballmer wants to do that. So I think you're exactly right. I don't know when it happens, but I think sort of a vibe shift is coming in Clipperland where we're not we're not married to these two wings uh, to build our 2020s uh, championship chase around. Well, there's also the new arena thing that is coming, um, and they definitely don't want to be bad for that. There's also the fact that, like, if they ever got to the point of trading these guys, I don't know how you trade for Kawhi Leonard and re-sign him for any number of years. Like, I just don't know how you do that. And, yeah, when he came back, he he was reliable the last 40 games of the season. He was absolutely incredible in the playoffs until he got hurt again. Yep. Right when they amped up the minutes and the intensity. And, and I think Lawrence Frank talked about last night he might be ready for training camp. Like, that's great. I just... I don't know how you put a value on that. All right, let's switch gears. And let Jeremy, you have any Clippers thoughts? Uh, not really. But I do think, yeah, to your point, like about the arena, it's like it's hard for them to go full reset. Their picks are all over the place. Like I do think there's something that has to change, whether you move one of those guys. But uh, I just, I, I, you, I'm with you. Yeah. You just can't put yourself in that jail for four more years each at 50 right. million, whatever a pop. You just can't do it. Like I said this for the, when the season ended, I was like, you have to say, no, you have to stand up and say this. We can't do it. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Two... I would classify them as strange trades preceded the draft. Um, the first, which we will start with, was a three-team trade in which the Boston Celtics traded Marcus Smart, mm. the heart and soul, green hair, taking charges, flipping and flopping all over the place, making big shots, taking big shots just after the buzzer in big playoff games. Making big passes to Jason Tatum at the buzzer of the Nets game. Just a, a gutsy player. We all love Marcus Smart. For Kristaps Porzingis, the number 25 pick in last night's draft, which they turned into 92 second-round picks in, a, in what John Hollinger <laughs> aptly described as a tribute to the cascading David Kahn draft of many eons ago. 
and a few, and the Warriors' top four protected 2024 pick, which is an interesting little piece of business for them. That's that's what the Celtics got. The Wizards got Tyus Jones on an expiring contract, and uh, the number 35 pick last night, I think. Uh, and the Grizzlies got Marcus Smart and traded those two first round picks we talked about to the Boston Celtics. Um, the Celtics angle is obviously the biggest one here. Um, just give me the initial thoughts, Kirk. And you're a New Englander. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I was shocked at the at the return. Number one, oh wow, Marcus Smart is worth this relative to some of the other players we saw moved around the last few weeks. Okay, you're getting Porzingis and two firsts. Great job by the front office. Uh, I think there's also like sort of a cultural risk is how I would characterize it. Smart has, as you said, been called the heart and soul. Big week for the term heart and soul. I, I've heard it. I've heard <laughs> it a lot referencing uh, Marcus Smart, but that's exactly what he's been for nine years. And his arrival in Boston, Zach, as you know, just happened to coincide with a resurrection for that franchise. He might not be the best player of this recent run, but he's certainly one of the sort of spiritual leaders. Um, I think the risk here is we're bringing in Porzingis for a, a world where Al Horford's role in the rotation diminishes. Joe Mazzula loves stretching out the court. Porzingis does that. He shoots threes as well as almost any seven-footer, um, and, and he's going to be able to extend that. One thing I haven't heard talked about enough, Zach, is that the arrival of Sam Cassell and Charles Lee I think gives Brad Stevens a little more confidence in the the sort of culture or the leadership in the locker room or in the huddle. Remember, Joe Mazzulla was in a tough spot last year. They had to sort of build this coaching staff from scratch at the wrong time of the calendar. They're able to correct for that. I think the building of this coaching staff has been an underreported story. I think it makes Boston a lot better. And I think it makes them able to sort of offset the spiritual loss, if you want to call it that, of Marcus Smart, where you have Sam Cassell. I mean, really the caricature of swagger <laughs> in the NBA in, in my lifetime, in one of them at least. And I, I think that's a big part of why they thought they could get rid of Smart. Uh, the other really fascinating thing I want to hear in your take, Zach, is like that other deal that almost happened. Do you think they would have rather gotten off of Brogdon? Can we read that? Uh, Is that a yeah, fair reading? Yes, yes, yes correct. Okay. And Bro Brogdon's injury is something of a mystery. You know, Windhorse described it as potentially serious enough that it would be very hard to trade him. And obviously it was very hard to trade him. Adam Himmelsbach of the Globe um, reported that there's a possibility he actually doesn't miss any games. I've been told that there's just a wide array of possible outcomes here. And, and one of them could be, as Adam reported, that he's healthy sooner than expected, but yeah, of course they would rather trade Malcolm Brogdon, you know, uh, than than Marcus Smart. Jeremy, did you have any initial reactions to this before I go on my spiel? Uh, I just, I guess, I just think it feels to me like they know that they have to change something. Um, you just you make enough of these deep runs, and uh, I mean, it's in some ways it's kind of interesting the parallel with that in the Clippers when you have two really really high paid wings. Uh, which is a formula that doesn't always work um, when there's some overlap in the skill set and how they mesh. And obviously Boston has more time and they're younger, but you have this massive Jalen Brown contract coming. And it's, um, it's coming by the way, it's coming. <laughs> that drama I, I expect to resolve. Uh, I don't know how quickly, but I expect it to resolve with Jalen Brown getting the massive supermax contract from the Boston Celtics. Yeah. 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 So I think that's part of the point of like them, 
uh, not only doing what they did, but also just accumulating all these million picks. It's like they know they're going to need cheap young players and they're going to have to draft well. Because uh, if you're going to be on this timeline with with Tatum and, and Brown both, um, and, and knowing the way the CBA changes things, uh, they're going to have to really hit on some of these picks. So, Kirk, you started by saying great value for Marcus Smart. And I, I agree. Getting a big man coming off, a young big man still coming off a career year, had a legit all-star case, I thought. Wouldn't didn't pick him for my team, but I thought I, mm. he was he was considered honorable mention, uh, and two first round picks, including a Warriors pick that has some real upside. Like there's there you know the Warriors are old and got older in the trade we're going to talk about, got older mm. and a and a little less punchier in the trade we're going to talk about um, shortly. That's great value for Marcus Smart. Um, and. I, I obviously I get the fit. Porzingis is an elite stretch five. There were moments now you've got to go back four years for him now for the most part, where Luca and Porzingis, like in the bubble, looked looked like, oh, this is the vision for this combination. This is trouble. This is trouble. Like the Clippers don't really have a great answer for this. And then Porzingis got hurt, of course, in that series. Um and you can envision Tatum and Porzingis and even Brown and Porzingis having that kind of chemistry. You can you can tell me that you know oh the, he's in there is some irony in um your insurance policy for older and injury prone big men being another injury prone big man like I just, so just keep getting guys who get injured all the time probably some of them will be healthy at some point not Al Horford's never injured but you know what I mean um I get the insurance policy thing I get that he can play with Horford maybe that's ends up being their starting five is Derek White right. the Jays Horford and and um, Porzingis. The Celtics think he can play with Robert Williams. I, I, I'm sure they'll try it. I'm just skeptical that that's going to be a thing. Uh, so I get the whole – I get and his rim protection is elite. If you play him and Robert Williams together, one of them guards the center, one of them guards the worst shooter on the other team. You drop back, you rope. I get all that. Something in my tummy doesn't like this one so much for Boston. Mm. And it's not, it's not just the heart and soul thing. It's, it starts with this. Marcus Smart was the best passer on a team that is a bad passing team. Porzingis is just a blah passer. I do think he's gotten a little bit more decisive and confident with his reads in the post. And when he gets the ball, like on the pick and pop, he would even sometimes like work a little give and go with Luka in those plays. And in Washington, I think his decisiveness really amped up. And they have confidence in the Horford time Lord passing, you know, from those positions. I just, uh, of all the teams to take a step back in playmaking, this was the one that made me the most nervous. And he's their screener for Tatum. He's their pick-and-roll ball handler with Tatum in that two-man game. And yeah, Derek White can do a lot of that. Derek White can do a lot of the same stuff. He can screen. He can screen on and off the ball. He can do all the pet actions that the Celtics like to do with the Jays. Um, But, you know, I do think... Marcus Smart's passing and playmaking will be missed. He was an option in the post for them in a way Derek White can't be. I think his size on defense was obviously critical to their ability to switch everything. Derek White can't really function the same way. Certainly can't guard up several positions like Marcus Smart can. And I don't trust Porzingis to stay healthy. I don't. Tr- I understand he had the most efficient post-up season of his career with Washington last year. I don't trust those numbers to sustain and 
like so many of his post-ups are still giving the ball at the nail. He gets to like do his stuff and rise up and shoot over a smaller guy on a switch. Like that's cool. Some seasons that'll work really well. Some seasons there'll be slumps. I don't think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum want to like watch him do that very often, at least when both of them are on the court. Maybe it's different with one of them on the court. I'm not sure that double center look with Time Lord and Porzingis is going to be a thing. Obviously, Brogdon is injured, and that would if he's if he's out longer than expected, that's two guards out the door. You maybe you keep Peyton Pritchard. Um Grant Williams seems likely to not be on the team next year. Mm. They'll explore everything, but I have the Celtics at like 170 million for just 10 or 11 guys right now, which means even using the tax mid-level is going to get them close to the second apron. I don't know. I get it. I think the Celtics are going to be awesome either way. Like the, their two best players are this good. Derek White is amazing. They have they have it, it, good depth still. I just something Porzingis has always left me a little cold as a player. Yeah. And something about this trade leaves me a little cold about just it, it's not the heart and soul stuff. It's just the the playmaking deficit, the defensive identity shift. I just I don't I don't love it. I don't love it. How about instead of heart and soul, it's heart and defense? How about that? Because I think they got worse on defense. You know, hot take, dude. They lost the defensive player of the year from two years ago. But you said tactically, Marcus allows them to do a lot. Like Time Lord. And I think when Ime Adoka really unlocked this team a couple of years ago after they sort of struggled out of the gate, it was a defensive story. It was finally getting used to switching everything. Rob Williams was a big part of that. I've never liked Porzingis as a contemporary NBA defender. I think Dallas got better on defense when they got rid of Porzingis. Uh, I think this team needs to be good on both ends of the court to get to where they want to go. And if I want to be critical of this trade, and again, I started by saying they got a nice haul. Great haul. It's great. They're going to yeah. be awesome either way. That's the luxury of having Jason Tatum and Dale and Brown. Are they still a top five defense? That's the that's a, that's a big question here. That was a defining aspect of them when I thought they were ascending towards title contender status in the Adoka year. And I'm not sure they still are that great on defense. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, with this new look Celtics roster. You know what? You know the word that I would use? Porzingis is just, there's something like sluggish about him that I don't like. He's just, it's like, like sluggish. Marcus Mm. Smart is like anti-sluggish in every, (laughs) in every possible way. Well, last night we said he's got that dog in him, right? That had, that was another term (laughs) phrase that's had a big couple of weeks, Jeremy. Am I right? And and I think there's no question if there's one NBA player that quote unquote, has that dog in him. It might be the guy that just went to Memphis from Boston. And Jeremy, you said like they just needed to shake things up. And I, and I agree, like something had grown stale with the team and the way their offense runs late in games and all that. Anytime we need to shake things up because becomes like a, a guiding principle. I get a little nervous because sometimes you do things that are just, you do them for the sake of doing something. And I'm not saying this is the case here. Cause I think Porzingis is a, is a good fit in lots of ways. I just something leaves me cold. Something leaves me cold about this move. For Washington, good value. People are killing the Wizards for like I can't believe they only got a first one first round pick or whatever for all these guys. Beal out the door, Porzingis out the door, Chris Paul in the door, then out the door through the revolving door. Okay, Brad Beal had a no trade clause, and they got a bunch of second round picks and a bunch of swaps. They got everything Phoenix could have. He had a no trade clause. People are yeah. underestimating like what that is. That's no, the that's whole what, thing. That's dude, it. Yeah, exactly. Zach, that's exactly what I kept circling. This is the week I learned how expensive a no trade cost was. That's <laughs> in it. The so NBA. throw it out the door. 
Porzingis, yeah. they got the 35th pick, and they got Tyus Jones, who they can flip anytime they want for another good, maybe first round pick. I don't probably, or they could just keep him and be like, Tyus Jones is really good for a guy who we just talked about. Porzingis is fine. He also had had suitors in free agency waiting for him and could have just opted out and left them with zero. And then they got real stuff for Chris Paul. Semi-real stuff, at least. Like, I just don't... The idea that the Wizards, like... The the Wizards missed out on a bonanza of trade assets three years ago. The Wizards didn't miss out on a bonanza of trade assets this week. The Wizards this week got what they could get and moved on with life. Um, and, uh, Jeremy, what do you think of the Marcus Smart fit for Memphis and what they gave up? I mean... You know, I had heard that Memphis was chasing a, a veteran guard. Uh, I, I think clearly they feel like they probably, considering sort of the um, instability of the last year with all the stuff with Ja, like they need to, I, I think, try to get more experience in the room. Uh, I think that's a win for them, uh, whatever price they had to pay to do it. Um, I, I, I think just, uh, I think he'll fit well in a complimentary sense too. Uh, giving them more of a defensive look in the backcourt that they maybe didn't have uh, with, you know, Bain is not, Bain's a good player. He's not like a great defender. So you, you plug in smart, you have those three guys, you can play them all together. If you want to go smaller, I think it gives them a lot of options. Um, and I, I, I liked it for Memphis. I mean, you got to do something and uh, the something is not, you know, start over. It's just, you know, what can we do in a reasonable way that uh, sort of, helps our team grow because uh, this is a huge year for them, I think, personally. Like, it's, you know, they're, they're going to have to prove a lot and Jaws going to have to come back and prove a lot. And I think having Smart will stabilize, at least especially with him missing the first quarter of the season. This was the first deal maybe in the Zach Kleiman regime in Memphis where from a just an asset perspective, they actually kind of took a risk and put a lot mm-hmm. out there, put real stuff out there. And maybe from just like a pure asset valuation perspective – "Quote unquote," lost the trade. I'm not sure that that's really true, but Tyus Jones is good, and they gave up two real picks for Marcus Smart, who's on a great contract. That's part of the reason why maybe they didn't "quote unquote" even lose the trade. Maybe it was a tie or whatever you want to say. Um, so I guess their starting five, when everyone's back, is Morant, Bain, Smart, Jaron Jackson Jr. And I'm curious about that fifth spot because yeah, you can pencil in Stephen Adams. That's yeah. the incumbent starter when he's healthy. Morant, Smart, and Adams is just not a lot of shooting. It's a lot of toughness, and boy, are they going to be unpleasant to play against mm-hmm. where they have if they ever have Smart and Adams out there together. That's going to be nasty. And Jaron Jackson Jr. blocking everything into the backboard. It's not a ton of shooting. It's not a ton of shooting. I'm interested. I'm interested in that in that fifth spot and how they how they dole out the minutes there. Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson has always been a winning combination for them. But yeah. just Smart and Morant are below average shooters for their positions. You throw in a true center, like the old Memphis problem of we can't score in the half court. That's been their issue 100%. in the playoffs two years mm-hmm. running. Um, I will say I would just keep an eye on the Grizzlies. They don't have cap room, I don't think, but I would keep an eye on them as a sign and trade destination if there's anybody in the free agency market that they end up liking they have a lot of little contracts not little mid-sized contracts they can aggregate attached to good players i would just keep an eye on that um should we move on to chris paul 
I want to ask Jeremy one question about the Wizards, uh, who, who I thought took the biggest swing in the draft maybe last night. Uh, maybe, maybe had the biggest reach. Let's Jeremy. do it. Let's we do it we now. can't get out of Wizards talk. Hashtag Wizards talk for those <laughs> of us who celebrate. Uh, what did you think of the, the – do you want to try, Zach, or do you want me to try my debut uh, pronunciation of uh, Bilal Kulabali? I think, uh, you I, I, I think you nailed yeah, it. Joe. think you nailed it. You got it. You got it. Uh, a reach or not? Do you love that pick or do you hate well, hold that? Hold on. Pick? Let's let's go. Let's go over the details. The yeah. Wizards had the eighth pick and the Pacers had uh, the seventh pick, and the Wizards wanted Bilal Kulabali, nice Victor Wembanyama's Victor Wembanyama's teammate in France, and uh, paid two second round picks to flip with Indiana from eight to seven, with Indiana going from seven to eight and picking Jairus Walker. Um, uh, so that's that's the trade. And yes, that is a well above where even optimistic mock drafts had Koulibaly. Um, so now with that said, give me give me the take. So, so I think there was kind of this growing thought over the course of this week. It's like, would the Wizards actually take Koulibaly? Because, you know, with, with Will Dawkins going there from Oklahoma City, uh, you kind of people kind of have a sense of who their type of player is going to be. Uh, now you have those two teams kind of like jostling in the same range of the draft. Um, my understanding of sort of what happened with this with this trade is that um, I think Oklahoma City was very close to trading in at seven, is what I heard. And, and so, and, and I think Washington was worried about um, getting sniped, right? And then you have uh, Utah. Uh, sitting right behind them. And Utah is another team that likes uh, Koulibaly. And I, I think Washington had to make sure they got the guy they wanted. Uh, and I don't think it was too big a price to pay to move up. It was a couple second round picks. I think that's okay. If that's really your guy and you believe in him and they have, again, they have, they just got there. They got a long timeline to do this. They've torn it down. Uh, I like the swing. Koulibaly is an awesome story. Um, and I've said this before, but like when I was over in France in November, like the, that guy was so far away from looking like a top 10 pick. Just just what I saw playing in the, uh, I talked about this with Brian Windhorst, the Espoir game and it would be uh, the, basically the JV team of their team. By the end of the year, he was the second or third best player on the team with Victor in the playoffs. So I think he really used this to his advantage and it's a big swing for Washington and it's going to take him a year or two to really like, I, I think become what he like a shade, like a shadow of what he's going to be because he's going to have to get better playing on the ball. Um, but people think he can be a playmaker. He he had a late growth spurt. Uh, was a point guard growing up, and now has this like amazing physical, uh, you know, tools, whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, so I, I like it for them. And again, if, that, if that's your guy and you're starting the rebuild, take your guy. Like I, I don't I don't mind paying to make sure you get him if you're worried about the trade. I really missed out on the late growth spurt in life. I, I've been five eleven and three quarters since I was like sixteen years old. It just didn't happen for me, you know. Imagine if, it's like imagine if I were sixteen years old and suddenly I was six six. Yeah, late growth spurt for Zach Lowe. Looking hey, good out there. You were a late riser though, Zach. I will give you that. Just like Kulabali, <laughs> you were a second rounder for a while there. But now, man, you're a clear top ten pick in my world. So I I agree. By the way, Jeremy, two seconds is not a lot to get squeezed out of in that kind of situation. I always think back to the, um, the infamous Alfred Payton, Dario Saric draft where Philly knew Orlando wanted Alfred Payton and took him at 10. And with Orlando was sitting at 12. I was like, Oh, 
You really want Alfred Payton? How badly? How about first-round pick badly? And it turned out to be a high first-round pick, too. So two seconds to move up two spots when you just got six of them from the Mm -hmm. Phoenix Suns who have literally nothing. I guess they have cash. Did the Suns send all their cash in that trade? Or do they have any cash? (laughs) I would just think it would be funny if they had like a 100 bucks left over. It's like, let's just keep a 100 bucks in the kitty just in case. Um, By the way, you know what would be really funny? And I asked around about this a little bit last night and got nothing. Just nothing. There's got to be a team. There has to be one team who was like, and I'm not even going to name a team because I I got nothing, like I said, but there has to be one team who called the Spurs and were like, we'll give you everything just, just to see. There had to be one GM who was curious enough to just be like, let's offer them our best player. Say we have like an all-NBA level player who's young-ish and we have all our picks and we have like some extra picks. Like what... Would it, if I were a GM, I would have just called him and like, you can have this guy, this guy, this guy, eight first round picks, seven second round picks, <laughs> and four first round pick swaps. So 15 draft picks, four swaps, two all stars, like just, just to see. So I asked around and I heard, no, no such calls were made. I'm like, that can't <laughs> be true. Some team must have done it. I don't think so, man, because everybody knew this was like the perfect spur from, from the jump. I mean, this is like an international. The Spurs dynasties act, as I always say, is built on lottery luck. They'll be the first to admit it. It's built on international players and, and, and incredible big men. Uh, and this guy checks all those boxes. You know, I'm biased, but Wembenyama was born to be a San Antonio Spur. I think other teams around the league wouldn't even pick up the phone and say, Hey pop, you ready to part with this, uh, <laughs> this logical <laughs> extension of what you've built for the last 25 years. I would have taken pop out for a meal bottle of wine. Number two. And been like, so how about it? 15 draft picks. This guy, I don't know. Just, just I would, I would have done it just to see, um, by the way, uh, the Pacers, um, have 30 something million dollars in cap room. Uh, and I don't, I don't think this would happen, but if there's a cap room team, just the cap room teams, forget the sign and trade landscape. If there's a cap room team where I'm like, that would be kind of a fun place for Draymond Green to go. It's Indiana with miles Turner as a stretch five Mm -hmm. and Tyrese Halliburton as a point guard splitting playmaking duties with Draymond Green. That would, and a team that has nothing at the four. Now, I don't uh, – maybe they're going to get something. What is, can Walker play any for, Jeremy? Yeah, that, that, that's probably what he'll do. That's I think division, that was right? their, That's why he was their guy. They, they wanted a four all year. And he can play make a little bit. He's not like He's stiff, young, though. You know? He's young. Let's yeah. have some fun in the meantime. Right. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus – their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, 
you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The other big mega deal of the Golden State Warriors trading Jordan Poole in a top 20 protected 2030 first round pick and a second round pick in some year. I don't remember. I think 2027 for Chris Paul. If Draymond Green doesn't come back now, I would be absolutely blown away because if there's a win now move, this is a win now move. If there's a Let's not quite nuke the two-timeline plan, but uh, we're going to set set it a little bit in flames. We still have Kaminga and Moody, but Poole gone, Wiseman gone. Uh, half of the two-timeline plan is gone. And now a 38-year-old point guard who's injured all the time in the playoffs is there in its place. Uh, I mentioned Golden State as sort of an aside as a potential Chris Paul destination, but I did not think that that was going to be where he would go. I focused on the LA teams. I know that Chris... I've heard that Chris was really intrigued and excited about the possibility of reuniting with the Clippers and sort of the poetry of of maybe finishing his career, trying to take them where they haven't gotten and take him himself where he's never gotten. Um, but I, I heard yesterday, like, that once this is like a double shock of, wait, I'm on the Wizards, now I'm on the Warriors. Uh, I, he, I've heard he's excited about the opportunity here. Um, it's a strange fit in just about everywhere. I mentioned both of these trades are like, what? Like strange. This is about as strange just as a stylistic ideological clash that I can recall. Um, Kirk, what were your initial thoughts on this? I mean, WTF was my first thought. I think <laughs> I'm not alone there. I mean, Chris Paul and the Golden State Warriors have a, a, a checkered past. Uh, I don't think they really liked each other in the peak of that Houston rivalry. There, dude, there are like nine memes and quotes that all can be used. It's not just the Steve Kerr laughing one, which was <laughs> yeah, an all timer. It's 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 there's like 20 of them. It just never uh, ends. Yeah. Yeah, Wendy had this point on our draft show last night about how when the Warriors dispatched the Rockets in that in that crazy series. There was the F Chris Paul chant in the in the locker room from the Warriors players directed toward the Rockets locker room after they had won the series. I mean, this is this is really interesting, but I think there is, you know, if it's a salary dump pool, I think you're exactly right. When you're looking at it from the Warriors perspective, this is blowing up the two timeline thing, just like Damian Lillard saying, I don't want to go out there and play with kids. I think quietly behind the scenes, some of the leadership on that Golden State roster was quietly, quietly. <laughs> hey, mm. I'm just being diplomatic. I, but I think that Jordan Poole and, and 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 Wiseman were two of the biggest players in that second timeline, if not the two biggest. They're gone. Uh, Chris Paul is in. From an analytics perspective, Zach, one of the big signature elements of this Warriors team the last few years is this: they have lost the non-Curry minutes on the basketball court drastically. In the 2023 playoffs, they were a positive team uh, with Curry on the court and negative 17.7 in this last postseason when he sat. That was a caricature of a larger trend we've seen, not only in the regular season this past season, but when they won it all. They were a negative team without Steph Curry. I think at very least, if indeed Chris Chris Paul cracks this rotation, Zach, he can come in and run that second unit 
and and I st- I'm not shoveling dirt on Chris Paul. This guy is still a fantastic offensive player, and I think he can he can solve one of those big problems they've had with Steph Curry off the court. They can win those minutes uh, with Chris I, Paul mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I also yeah. think it's time for Chris Paul to play like 24 minutes a game or something like that. Th- and this is a play- this is a place where he can do it. Um, and just when you got to amp it up in the playoffs, if you can amp it up in the playoffs, it is a salary dump of Jordan Poole. And it's not even like this. It's a top 20 protected pick. Like it could end up being a fake pick. Like right. it, they could end up dumping Jordan Poole whose contract could age well. I mean, I'm sure he'll average like 27 a game next year in Washington. Right. Um, right. But for, for a fake first, and they give themselves a shot, depending on Clay's number to come back, assuming he comes back, and Draymond's number to come back, assuming he comes back, at like being around the second apron going forward, maybe under it, maybe a little over it. They give themselves a shot to maneuver a little bit. I just think... It's a crazy fun opportunity for Chris Paul because if you talk to Chris, I remember interviewing Chris in Houston about when he, his first year there, about sitting down with him at the facility and, and talking about, well, Chris, I mean, you love, like you're you're the you're the master manipulator. Like you want to walk the ball up the floor, dribble it a lot of times, mm. yell at everyone where they're supposed to go and and and, and <laughs> like get them in position and run a pick and roll and do your thing. Now you're playing with James Harden and like you got to do off the ball stuff and get the ball moving, whatever. And he did not like the line of questioning. And in a very Chris Paul way, it was like, I'm way more adaptable than you think. I'm not, I don't want to be the control freak guy. Like if I played on a team that was fast, I'm happy to throw hit ahead passes. I'm one of the best in the league at that. I'm happy to run. I'm happy to run like if my team wants to run floppy a million times he asked me like what do you think the most common play was we ran in with the clippers what do you think zach floppy floppy not pick and roll floppy for jj reddick like if we want to run that play a million times i'm fine with that he's a big he's like a physical screener like mm-hmm. if you want i'm sure he's thinking right now like if they want to put me out there with curry and clay thompson a lot and run use me as the screener and have me hit people like i can do that i'm happy doing that um he prides himself on an adaptability that I don't think has necessarily played out at all of his stops. And it will be fascinating to see how he adapts to chaos ball. Cause the Warriors play chaos ball. Let's just like, like just throw the ball all over the goddamn gym, run around, set screens, improvise everything. And that's not the way Chris has traditionally played. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause to your point, Kirk, maybe they get a different identity when instead of turning Jordan Poole into curry into diet curry, maybe they just like, we're going to, our second unit offense is going to be a Chris Paul offense. That said, he doesn't have the kind of pick and roll partner. He usually would prefer to have, but you know, Looney's a really smart player. Who's become really good at that. You pair with Draymond. That is interesting. I think it's look, they're trying to win the title. They should be trying to win the title. Steph Curry is Steph freaking Curry. As long as he's on your team, you have to be all in as all in as you can be. They have kept the most valuable piece. I think of, at least the one they drafted because uh, they clearly missed the Wiseman pick by a lot uh, of the second timeline thing. And that's Kaminga. Yeah. And and I think they're, they're smart to hang on to Kaminga. And I like for, for Jordan Poole and maybe a fake first, 
I I don't know what better win now player they were going to get than this. Well, and it's it's a big team building move for the future too. Getting off the pool contract alone is a triumph for the future of this team. But I had one warrior source tell me, you know, they don't just play chaos ball, Zach. They sort of play cadence ball. Like it it, it looks chaotic, but there's a cadence, there's a heartbeat to that jazzy sort of motion that they have. Chris Paul's smart enough to slide in there. And I had one one of my Warriors friends told me like. At times, Jordan Poole was just off rhythm with, with what they were trying to do. He was taking one or too many dribbles. He wasn't in the right place. Players were frustrated. You, you have to be a high IQ, sort of selfish mm-hmm. basketball player to fit into what Steve Kerr has engineered there, uh, to what they're trying to get Steph Curry and Clay Thompson to open looks with. And yeah, if I've learned anything about Chris Paul, he's a versatile player. He's an offensive uh, mastermind. And I think he'll be able to slide into almost any offensive scheme and match its cadence uh, in a way that Jordan Poole simply wasn't. So I wanted to just, just add that. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Yeah, I, 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 for me, it's it's definitely about the money. It's a relatively clean way to get off that contract. If it's not working, clearly, if it's just to do that. But then, yeah, I just tend to think like the more high elite genius level basketball IQ players you throw in together, they usually figure it out. And like at this point in their careers, again, it's like, you know, it's a good situation for, for, to manage uh, Paul's minutes. And um, again, how you, you, you think you made a great point. Like he'll probably have something in the tank in the playoffs. He's not going to have to burn it all in the regular season. And uh, I'm actually excited to see what this looks like. Uh, the different combinations they can have um, and, and sort of how it fits. I don't know. Like it, it didn't work with D'Angelo Russell as the other point guard, but that's because it's D'Angelo Russell, right? Like, I don't I don't think it precludes Steph from playing with another smaller guard. Go ahead, Kirk. No, I yeah. just going to ask him what he thought about their draft pick because a lot of the nerds absolutely love their draft pick, Jeremy. I wanted to know what you thought of Brandon. Yeah, yeah, Brandon uh, Pajemski. Uh, I, uh, I, I think it's a good pick. I mean, it is kind of of a nerd pick but it's funny because he so so brandon is the type of guy like analytically graded out really really well uh, i'm sure for a lot of people and helped his stock a lot but he's also like super super competitive and driven uh sometimes almost like to a fault is is, is sort of his, his reputation it's not a bad thing right and if you you throw him in a locker room where oh look there's chris paul oh there's steph curry like he's gonna he's gonna like i think embrace that i think it's a great uh great situation for him i, I the question with him is just uh, you know, he's kind of physically maxed out. He's not going to like dunk on you. He's going to be, you know, crafty, drawing fouls, skill. I'm going to have to make a lot of shots. Uh, I, I went and watched him work out in Milwaukee, um, I guess like a month or so ago and was was really impressed with the shot making and, and just his work ethic. And again, one on no workouts or one on no workouts, but I think teams saw a lot of these same qualities of him. He took it really, really seriously, the whole pre draft process. And, you know, uh, six months ago, we didn't think he was going to be in the first round, and uh, he earned it. So uh, that's the type of guy I think will will vibe with what they're doing. He'll he'll fall in right away, and I think may be able to give them bench minutes uh, and a little bit of extra scoring juice. So um, not not a and again to your point about the timelines. I think they've realized that uh, you know they tried that, but now it's like, well, the timeline is however many good years we're going to get out of Steph, and to a lesser extent the other guys. So. Uh, now it's one timeline and you can have young guys, but you gotta, you know, you have to think about fit, I think even more. Yeah. I, I am interested to see how much they play Chris and Steph together. I mean, they moved away from the pool party, super small lineup, but Chris is obviously a tougher, more rugged and stronger defender 
than Jordan Poole. I just don't know how much physical pounding you want to subject Chris Paul to in like game 38 of the regular season. But will they play Chris, Clay, and Steph together? And how much? I mean, they will. How much? But to what degree? And like, where does Peyton fit in there? But this is going to be a, a, a really talented team. And if they stay healthy, they're going to be competitive in the West. And obviously, this probably increases the odds that Russ stays with the Clippers and D'Angelo Russell has a path back um, to the Lakers. But We'll see. I forgot about the F Chris Paul uh, <laughs> chance coming out of the locker room. I don't that 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 has I got I got to look back at that. It would be fun yeah. if they could. T- Remember how back in my early twenties, I'm not ashamed to admit I dabbled in. I, I watched WWE every now and then. Oh, Remember Kurt Angle? Oh yeah, Mr. yeah yeah yeah. Remember how the fans used to chant "You suck." You suck to like the beat of his entrance music. And then it became like a term of endearment for him. Like it became a way for them to ch- maybe the, the F Chris Paul could turn into that for the oh. Warriors. Now turn it into like whenever he does something like just nasty, but it helps the Warriors like a flop. Or although Chris would say he doesn't flop, of course, <laughs> or like whatever. Um, they, they Everyone chants that. I think that could they should co-op that. Uh, I don't know if I have any. Other- oh, Draymond. Draymond. Oh man, Wendy got his fingers wagging on on Draymond last night. I just what do you uh, say? What do you say? Oh, he was doing this whole uh, "What's going on in Sacramento?" And yes, he, he, so, okay, okay, you take it, Zach. You take well, it. Well, okay, so so Sacramento trades number twenty four and Rashawn Holmes to Dallas, and we'll talk about Dallas. This is a good segue into back into the draft. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like whoa. Sacramento's got thirty something million dollars of cap space. Yeah. And um I said after the season, and I have not heard anything contradictory that is didn't get any pushback on it, but I also haven't been digging deeply into Harrison Barnes's future in the last three months or two months. I said after the season that if I if I were a betting man, I would bet on Harrison Barnes being on a different team next year. I just it just felt to me like his time had served its purpose in Sacramento as like veteran leader, kind of jack of all trades, master of none, hybrid forward, help this team reach a new level. Okay, we we got there. It's time to use this salary slot on on something that makes more sense for us long term. I still think that's probably true. And the events of last night made me think, ooh, that's that's very true. Um now is Draymond the target for the Sacramento Kings? I, I think Bill Simmons has brought that up. You're telling me that Windhorse did this about it. Um, certainly Vivek Ranadive, Warriors expat, loves all things Warriors. And if you love all things Warriors, there are a few things you love more than Draymond snarling Draymond Green, who just, by the way, also just stepped on your franchise center, who's eligible for an extension. Um, that's a thing, too. You could Basketball, if, if F. Chris Paul can be right. reintegrated into the Warriors – a stomp and it was a st- it was like a super mario brother jump like like boink like uh, it was a real thing you can get around that um on draymond i do think the money's got to be close for him to go back to golden state i i don't get the sense that he's going to take like a massive discount out of loyalty to the warriors but when you do the, what the warriors just did and you have Steph Curry, who loves Draymond Green, who's going to have a say in whatever the hell happens with this team. 
I just find it hard to believe that Draymond's going to go anywhere. Nothing would surprise me. Like the Kings, maybe. Uh, I just mentioned the Pacers. There are any number of signage. I mentioned Memphis is a sign and trade. Like they've got a lot of sign and trade stuff. Like I, I, there's going to be options for him. The Warriors obviously have to participate in any sign and trade, but the Kings have put themselves in position where they don't need that necessarily. I don't know. One other character, Mike Brown, Mike Brown, the defensive, Mm -hmm. the defensive leader of the last championship team and, and, and very close with Draymond Green. Okay. 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 Uh, Before we get to that, Jeremy, educate me. The Mavericks tank out of the season. Despite trading for Kyrie Irving and having Luka Doncic on their team. Nope, we got to keep our pick. Got to keep it. Oh, God, the heat mate from, went from the play-in tournament to the finals. Oh, my God, we have egg all over our face. Looks embarrassing. Then they trade down with Oklahoma City, and everyone laughs at them because no one can wait three seconds before firing off their most scorching takes that the world needs to hear. And they end up getting a guy that I think they wanted anyway, a guy who fits an archetype that Luca badly wants in Derek Lively. Um, and then they right away take, take the trade exception they got and bring in Rashawn Holmes, who's a great insurance big man. Like, I think Rashawn Holmes can still play. And, um, and number 24, and with number 24, they take Omax Prosper. You're telling me that that's what we're going to call him. Please tell me about these two players that the Mavericks got. And if you think this is as good a night for the Mavericks, who don't just need players who fit around Luka Doncic, they need players who fit around Luka Doncic now, today. Was it that good of a night for them? Yeah, I I think it was a win for Dallas for sure. Just, just I mean, purely from the perspective of, yeah, I, I agree. I think Lively was probably who they were taking anyway at 10 had there been no trade. Uh, my understanding of that trade with, for uh, OKC, I think it was another situation where, look, Dallas had been marketing this pick for a couple weeks. Uh, everyone knew it was available. They had a lot of calls. Um, and I, I think when you you see and everyone knows there's a pick like that. Uh, If you're worried at all about someone trading in for your guy. uh, And again, this is a, another thing. It's sort of in somewhat similar to what happened with uh, Koulibaly and the wizards to some extent. Um, Okay. See case and Wallace is the guy they want. Uh, They're not going to take any chances. And again, this is why uh, when you're a team that's, um, you know, either able to take contracts like they took Bertans or you load it up on picks or whatever you can do with a little move like that. So uh, for Dallas, it's, you know, we get the guy we want anyway. We're paying him a little bit less slot value going back two picks. Uh, and then essentially swapping the Bertans money for the the Holmes money, which is, a you know, probably a more useful player. And then, yeah, and you get Prosper. A useful, like less, a, less expensive play. I think they say like right. $8 million total over the two years, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell and, me about uh, Prosper. Yeah, Prosper, he, he had a good, um, really good showing for the first day of the combine. I think it wasn't. You know, he did not come into the pre-draft process as a projected first-round pick, not for us. Um, but it was clear, and I saw him a few times. You know, Marquette is just uh, not up the road from Chicago here, so I, I end up going there a few times a year. Uh, he has NBA physical tools. He's got the length. He's got big shoulders. Uh, he, he's more raw, I think, than you would hope for a guy who's had a few college seasons. Um, but, again, when you have that type of body and you play hard, um, if you just start not, you know, you, you learn to knock down a shot. Uh, I mean, I don't know. They, they, they certainly have missed the Dorian Finney-Smith role, and I think that's probably what they're going to hope he can do uh, in some amount of time for them. Um, so I, I, I like what they did. I mean, 
you're, you're, you're doing Sacramento a favor and you get a, a free rookie out of it. You know, why not? And I, I also, my understanding was that I think, um, I think Boston was, that was kind of after Omax 25. Uh, so it worked out, uh, for, for Dallas. Good. I think it was good work. Maybe that's why they traded down in their cascade yeah. of exactly. That's what I think. Conscade of picks. That's um, what I think. Yeah. Kirk, what else did you guys talk about regarding the Kings last night? I didn't. I only had two screens active. I couldn't do three, so I wasn't watching the YouTube special. What else did you talk about with the Kings? Just well, Draymond get, or? Yeah, a lot of Draymond, Mike Brown, Harrison Barnes, Sabonis, like restructuring his deal. Can they now use some of this space to, to get into a more team-friendly extension uh, with him uh, and continue to build? Uh, but just adding to what Jeremy said on on the draft, my one of my big takeaways from the draft to, to continue on that Dallas point is who won the NBA draft? The state of Texas, because Dallas had a great draft night. I think Houston snuck, kind of got two guys who were projected in the top 10 somehow, even because Whitmore fell so far. Uh, and then obviously my beloved San Antonio Spurs had a pretty good night. So, you know, the, the state of Texas has had three great organizations, Zach. For a long time, uh, there was that great stat about the Nuggets being the first team not from Texas or California to win from the West uh, in a very long time. Uh, but for me, the draft really potentially is a resurrection of that Texas triangle in the NBA that our beloved Tim McMahon loves to cover so much. But a great night for all three Texas teams. Um, but yeah, on the Sacramento thing, just like what's going on there, I think they have some flexibility uh, and they're in a lot better place than they were when we were talking about them two years ago. Uh, and and they, they could be a factor in the West as well going forward. One other funny note on Sacramento. I do think that if Chris Murray had fallen to 24, I think they were taking him. Uh, he was on, I think, a short list of guys for that pick. Uh, they would have reunited the Twins. Like uh, they did not do that. That ended up not happening because he went one pick before. <laughs> but I think they were hoping. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that in there. That would have been a, a fun outcome. But, or or to, it would be very annoying for Sacramento beat writers who have to like identify who's who at practices and and shoot arounds and stuff without the numbers well, on the jersey. One of them's left-handed. Chris is left-handed and Keegan's right-handed. Yeah. So, so when they're shooting, you can tell. But uh, other than <laughs> but we'd have the box score lineup stat problem of K Murray and K oh. Murray, like which is a nightmare. And we'd have to go K E K R Murray. And oh. sometimes NBA.com doesn't do that with the greens when Jamichael and Jeff are on the same. Anyway, great note. So, so the Kings, Bobby Marks checked in with me last night. They have about a hundred million dollars in salary committed if they renounce Harrison Barnes, which give them thirty-ish in room once you apply cap hold and stuff. And here's the thing: if it's renegotiating and extending Sabonis, that's going to take you out of the cap room game by itself because Sabonis is at what twenty-two, I think, next year. And so raising him up, if you're going to raise him up to his max, is going to is going to eat up a lot of a good port enough of that $30 million that you're not really in the game for a big free agent anymore. You know, I want the Kings to do something more than just bump Sabonis up to his max and then just sort of take a couple of small bites, small bites, little guys here and there. Can't you go to Sabonis and be like, dude, you're an all NBA player. You proved it last year. We love you. We can just max you out after the season. Let us use this cap room for something really good that can help our team. Because Hey man, we just got the third seed in the Western Conference. Like we're we're afraid of Denver. Like Denver's a problem. We're not we're not that. Yeah, we lost in the first round. It was there for us though. Like we're not afraid of anybody. We're going for it. Let's go for it. Um, and it doesn't have to be Draymond Green. Can I throw some names out there? Could be, it could be anybody. 
Like if the Clippers really ever got serious about trading Paul George, not a power forward, but it's an interesting name. Slide Murray to the four, just go all shooting. Kyle Kuzma is a name that will come up. I don't. I'm a little wary mm-hmm. of the next Kyle Kuzma contract. What about trying to steal Jeremy Grant from the Blazers? Yeah. What if the What if the Raptors ever got serious about trading Pascal Siakam? I don't know if the Kings have enough though. Don't know if the Kings have enough. There's a million. You could go any number of ways. People threw Bruce Brown out there. I actually already think the Kings kind of have too many guards, and I realize he can guard up a position. They could be opportunistic and like. If the Knicks decide to move on from Obi Toppin, why not take a shot on him? Jalen McDaniels from Philly, take a shot on him. Maybe that maybe you can do Sabonis and do a couple of little things like that. Just trade them into whatever is left of your space. Um you could really you could get you could get you could be the Grant Williams team if you want to go that route. You can be like, we'll be the team that at the very least makes the Nets pay through the nose for Cam Johnson. Like mm-hmm. there's a million directions you can go. And that are not Draymond Green, and they're up. They got to be up to something because you don't. You're not a. Re, you're not a young team. You don't trade the 24 pick. And I know they went up. They they went up from 38 to 34. I think in the second round. You don't trade the number 24 pick unless you've got a couple of real actionable ideas. I agree. Yeah. And um, the Draymond thing, though, if there's one word that I could say, the Sacramento Kings need to sort of zero in on over the next three years to get to the next level, Zach. It is stomping. Is it stomping? It is stomping your opponent on the defensive end of the court. They Uh, they need to improve their defense. (laughs) One of my favorite favorite stats of of this year was the Sacramento Kings are the best offense in the history of the NBA because their offensive efficiency was, was unprecedentedly high. But so we know their offense can hum and cook. But the thing is, I want to plug in. I want to spend this cash, Zach Lowe, on a player that makes my defensive efficiency a better uh, a better ranking in this NBA. Because as you mentioned, the Denver Nuggets aren't going anywhere. Uh, and they have a an ability to score the basketball pretty well, too. So the thing with Draymond is it's not only the Mike Brown reunion, it's not only the geographic proximity to where he currently lives and is raising his family. Uh, it is He's the perfect person to make them a defensive team right now. The offense will be great. He can come in and bring some of the names you mentioned. Jeremy Grant did come up last night. I think that's a nice fit, but he doesn't move that needle on the side of the court where this team needs to move the needle if they want to get to the next tier of contender status going forward. Yeah, none of the – I mean, Grant Williams, I think, would be the only one of the guys I mentioned that right. would do that. Um, and I mentioned Paul George sort of facetiously. Like, the thing about the Kings is they owe a pick, uh, a protected pick to Atlanta still for Herder. Um, so they're a little bit encumbered in how many picks they have. I can't believe I'm saying this about the Sacramento Kings, but you can't assume anymore that future Kings picks in the <laughs> next five years are going to be like lottery tickets into the top five. I, I can't right. believe I'm saying that. Um, and they do need some some defense, and Draymond would do it. You know, it would be interesting to see how their offense would fare because Sabonis obviously is not a shooter. Fox's three-point shot goes wildly up and down. Uh, they have shooting around those guys with Murray and Herter and Monk and, and all that. But a, a Draymond Sabonis front line with Fox's point guard, and Fox is a great mid-range shooter, but long range is, is like I said, up and down. It's an interesting fit because what it really is is a bet on IQ and movement because what Sabonis and Draymond Green lack in outside shooting, they more than make up for in handoffs, passing, cutting, screening, pace, 
I mean, imagine the pace with both of those guys able to grab and go. I think the offense would take a hit, particularly in the half court, particularly in the playoffs when it slows down a little bit. But it might not be as big of a hit as people think, especially when you start thinking about, do we use Draymond Green as our backup center? Like, they don't have a backup center right now. Alex Len is entering free agency. Rashawn Holmes just got traded. Um, I think the offense would take a hit. It would be a little clunky at times with the spacing because, you know, in place of Steph and Clay, you have De'Aaron Fox, who's not quite the mover and three-point shooter, obviously, that any of those guys in Golden State are, not even close. But he's also a creative, high IQ player and a really good passer and a good mid-range shooter. It would be, it would be interesting. I'm kind of selling myself because your initial reaction whenever you talk about two non-shooting bigs together right. is to poo-poo it. But Draymond's not your average non-shooting big. And this goes back to my whole thing with Draymond is there's this whole school of thought about him that, oh, what would his career have been if he didn't get drafted with the Warriors and not, doesn't get to do his you know, high-flying playmaking stuff with the two greatest shooters of all time who just happen to be two guys who are more than happy to work without the ball so he can work with it. And yeah, that fit helped Draymond become Draymond, I think it undersells his malleability and, and like how actually incredible he is as a playmaker, even leaving aside his defense. Now I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> you got your fingers wagging. <laughs> and, and I do think like it, Vivek would love nothing more than to sort of drive a spike into that Warriors dynasty. Uh, and I, I don't think, for the record, I don't think this is happening. Ultimately, I believe that Draymond stays home with Stefan and Steve Kerr and that whole dynasty that they've built together and tries to get another one in this new era. But I do think it's fair to say like Sacramento is posturing to try to make a run here uh, and it would make them very, very good. And I love your point about this dribble handoff. You know, you don't necessarily have to space the floor to be a big man, but these guys are offensive savants. Uh, you can run really complex actions and trust that they're going to find the shooters, the herders, find the fox on the cut. They're really talented offensive players. So I think it's a little sort of basic to be like, man, their offense would be kind of stagnant. No, these guys aren't stagnant offensive bigs at all, Zach. And you're exactly right to point that out. I think their offense, would it would take some time and it would be clunky at times and maybe not be as just sort of clean and, and easy. And it would take up, I think their per possession production would drop a little bit, but maybe not as much as people think. Jeremy, before we go, um, Orlando at six and eleven. Anthony Black and Jet Howard. Tell me about your reaction to that. I loved the Anthony Black pick. That was kind of what I suspected would end up happening. Uh, he's one of my favorite players in the draft, and he kind of falls in line when we were looking at what Orlando might do. He falls in line just from like a size and feel standpoint with, with what they love. Uh, I think um, they wanted to get bigger in the backcourt. Uh, you know, you have the luxury of having these two like supersized uh, offensive engine type of players in Bancaro and Wagner. And you put in a guy who's not only a smart uh, passer and very unselfish, but also a guy who can defend all over the court uh is in the right place a lot is gonna have to get better at shooting for sure uh but i love the anthony black pick um and i i think he might end up being i mean he might outkick that draft slot at number six when, when it's all said and done but uh he's, he's got to be more aggressive as a scorer but i i think some of that will be mitigated uh, on that team where they can play a pretty like stylish type of uh, basketball with him uh the jet howard pick was the first pick in this draft that i was actually surprised by um just, just I think we knew, and it's funny, like we had talked a lot about how Orlando needed shooting. 
but we were connecting them to other shooters. And I, in my mind, like I had heard a lot that Howard might be slipping, um, didn't anticipate him going that high. Uh, I, I, I think I totally understand the logic with that pick. It may not have been what I would have done. Uh, I, I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure when I saw it, uh, how I felt about it. And I'm still, still processing, but in theory, jet is the type of shooter, uh, that they need uh, around those other guys and he can defend. And I mean, look, if they're rolling out in a year, let's say, you know, the lineup with black Howard, Ben Wagner and a big, I mean, that's potentially like a huge team that can shoot where all the players can make plays a little bit. Uh, that's like a really, really interesting and very modern, so to speak, uh, basketball team. This is your expertise, Jeremy. Parting thought. Give me a pick. Could be a deep cut or not a deep cut that you either loved, just loved, or even today you're like, what in the hell happened with that pick? I hate that pick. One or both of those. Yeah, uh, I loved the – this is an easy one, but I, I love the Jaime Jaquez Miami fit. Uh, I've kind of been a fan of his for like three years uh, since watching them in the NCAA tournament when we were all like stuck in Indy during that COVID tournament and UCLA made that Final Four run. Uh, out of the play-in round. I, I just, I love his toughness. It's very stereotypical heat, but it's going to, I think, will, will work really well. Um, I liked what Brooklyn did. Ended up staying both at 21 and 22 and just going super young, like taking two teenagers who don't need to play right away for them. I think that's uh, pretty interesting with Noah Clowney and uh, Derek Whitehead. I didn't really, I always go back and I don't really have picks to like bash and it's not like that's what I do, but I also, I guess like, LA at 17, Huchifino fell there, wasn't my favorite player. I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of guys on the board. Uh, and then I, I also thought Houston, obviously, with Whitmore falling to 20, I, I I was a little surprised no one wanted to take that swing. And I know, you know, there were a range of concerns there, and that type of thing can snowball because, like, yesterday over the course of the day, I had a lot of teams in the 10 to 20 range hitting me up, like, wait, Whitmore might be here. What's the deal? And I, I think – you know, that that was going around. Uh, everyone realizing that could happen. Yeah. Starting around sixteen, my phone started to ring with messages that Houston was going to be the Whitmore team. Yes, um, I don't know why. I I, I guess people seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, those teams, including the Lakers. I guess people knew by then, like it's not going to be them. Yeah, and it was interesting because that was kind of how, and I think, you know, uh, Jonathan Gavoni and I had talked about this, but like the way that the draft lined up and. It helped our mock uh, in the end, which ended up being pretty accurate. I think we had like 18 of the first 24 yeah, picks you got, on. You got In the middle of the first round, um, you guys were rolling. I was looking at – I had a, a couple of the mock drafts. I'm like, man, they're on a roll right now. Yeah, yeah. I We, we obviously were, were, were pretty happy about it. But uh, I think like you had L.A. at 17, Miami at 18, Golden State 19. Those are three teams that are perennially trying to win. Uh, so kind of gave you an idea of where they're going to go. And those are teams who – are not afraid to just take their guy. Um, I think you could look at the track record of all those teams and uh, Whitmore being there, I'm sure they were like, eh, but ultimately, you know, you, you stick to the plan. You're not going to go off script at the last second for uh, an 18 year old who you don't know uh, if he'll help you or not next year. And you don't know the, about the bill of health. Uh, so it wasn't like totally shocking that he got that far once he began to fall. Uh, but I, I am still a little surprised he got to 20, and I think that's probably really good value for Houston. I know Houston was was thrilled to get a player who they at least thought about for number four for a bit, then get him 16 picks later. Doesn't happen often. 
everyone is thrilled. Everyone always got everyone way higher or uh, way lower than they had them on their board. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, he was number eight on our board. We were thrilled to get him at yeah. 13. Uh, Jeremy Wu, um, you and Gavoni, just an incredible tag team on, on the draft. Kirk Goldsberry, just analysis up and down. What's your next piece, Kirk? What are we going to look for from you? Hey, baby, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to go watch this French teenager in the desert, and I'm going to write a preview piece. I'm going to react. Hopefully, we get to see this young man hoop in the NBA Summer League, uh, and I'll be all over that, Zach. So uh, I cannot wait. Hopefully, we'll get some tacos out there in Vegas as tradition. I, uh, your first your first Wemby experience. I, it will I, be. I'm very excited. Uh, I love Las Vegas in July. I mean, everybody does. You, 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 can't, you can't argue with it. I look forward to losing a little bit of money. And uh, and having some beverages and doing some work. Thank you, guys. Be well. Have a good weekend. Likewise. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.